John 15, 1 and 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Good evening, and welcome again to our worship service. We're very grateful for your presence tonight. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together as God's people, to worship him, and to enjoy a period of fellowship. We're going to be looking tonight at John, the 15th chapter, as we think about the theme, Productive Branches in the Vineyard of the Lord. And we'll be looking at John 15, verse 1, beginning in just a moment. I do want to take this opportunity to encourage each and every person to mark down on your calendar that our upcoming gospel meeting is less than or actually two weeks away. We want to encourage everyone to be a part of the meeting. Please be praying for our gospel meeting, that it will be a success. And also, be sure and invite a friend, a neighbor, a family member. We would love to fill this building and give people the opportunity to hear, give them the opportunity to hear the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Tonight we're going to be looking, as I said a moment ago, at John chapter 15. We're going to be talking about productive branches in the vineyard of the Lord. In the book of John, Jesus is identified as the Word who became flesh. And we know that Jesus Christ was and is the Son of God. He was God incarnate. And in the book of John, he identifies himself by using the expression, I am, on several occasions. For example, in chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. In chapter 11, he talks about, I am the good shepherd. In chapter 14, at verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 15, Jesus said, I am the vine. And Jesus is pictured here as the vine. Our Heavenly Father is pictured as the vine dresser. And we as His disciples are spoken of as branches in verse 5. Well, how do we relate to the vine? And what is our purpose as we live in the vineyard of the Lord. The first thing that I call your attention to as we think about what Jesus says in John chapter 15 has to do with our fellowship to the vine or our relationship to the vine. And Jesus, in a very explicit way, is going to talk about this very close relationship, this fellowship that we enjoy to him as the vine. The first thing that we read about in John chapter 15 as Jesus uses this figure has to do with life in the vine. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. In verse 2, every branch in me. One of the things that you and I need to understand and appreciate is that Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, as the vine, is the source of all life. 
If you and I are going to enjoy true life, then we have to abide in the vine. In other words, we have to be a part of the vine. Jesus is going to talk about, down in about verse 4, or verse 5 rather, that without Him you can do nothing. Outside of Christ, you and I are nothing. We have nothing. We can do nothing. And yet, in Christ, abundant blessings reside. Now in John chapter 14, verse 6, the passage that was alluded to a moment ago, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Underscoring this source of life, that he is the source of life, that he is the one that makes life available to us. Now, as we think about our fellowship or relationship to the vine, and as I said a moment ago, our life in the vine, a couple of things. Number one, Jesus said that we are clean because of the word of the vine. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, now Jesus in this context or setting is talking to the apostles. But he said, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. We talk about the power of God's word. And the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 4 at verse 12 that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Paul talks about the power of the gospel. And that powerful gospel has the ability to save. Well, Jesus said in John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. The word of God is what ultimately brings about salvation in the lives of people. In other words, when we respond in faith to the message of the gospel of Christ, then we enjoy salvation or liberation from sin. And so the idea of being made clean through the word is appropriate. I think about passages such as James chapter 1 verse 18 and verse 21 where James stresses receiving with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 1 verse 13, he said, In whom you also believed, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And so, Here Jesus is stressing the fact that they had been made clean because of his word. But then also we think about communion with the vine. And this has to do, or this I think underscores this fellowship that we enjoy with the Lord. Look again at verse 1. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Look at verse 5. I am the vine. And he said, you are the branches. And so, we enjoy fellowship with deity. Think about this. You and I, we are the children of God. Those of us that have obeyed the gospel, that have put our Lord on in baptism, we belong to the Lord. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that we were bought with a price. He points out that we are not our own. The Lord Jesus Christ bought and paid for us. That is, He redeemed us. And so our purpose is to bring glory and honor to Almighty God. Well, what about this fellowship or communion 
that we enjoy. I said a moment ago that we have a very special relationship with the Lord. The Apostle John who wrote sometime in the latter part of the first century, possibly 95, 96 A.D., in, 1 John, in the book of 1 John, talks about the incarnate Christ. And he points out that the people of his day, that is, the apostles, the disciples, they saw the Lord, they heard the Lord, they touched the Lord. And he said, these things we write to you that you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we enjoy a sense of fellowship or communion with the vine. And so first of all, there is life in the vine. But then also, there is love from the vine. Drop down if you would and note verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that you, or rather that your joy may be full. And so, here Jesus is stressing the tremendous love that he has for those of us who belong to him. Over in chapter 15 at verse 13, he's going to say, Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus literally gave himself for us. He left the glories of heaven, came to planet earth, walked among mankind, was ultimately crucified between two thieves. Why? Because of his great love for us, because of the Father's love. And because God's plan was for His Son to execute His plan of redemption. Now we talk about the love of the vine. There are people in our world today, there are people in this city, that if you were to ask them, point blank, does anyone love you? They would respond by saying no. There are a lot of people in our world today that walk the streets wondering why no one loves them. But I can tell you somebody that loves each and every person. And that's the Lord. And in John chapter 15, Jesus stresses his great love for those of us who belong to the human family. The Lord has deeply loved us. And not only has he verbalized his love towards us, but he has also demonstrated his love towards us. He demonstrated it by giving his life on Calvary for our sins. But there's a second thing I want to call your attention to in our text tonight. We think first of all of our fellowship or relationship to the vine, but then secondly, our faithfulness or responsibility to the vine. And this has to do with the fact that as the vine, as the true vine, and as the branches, there are certain responsibilities that are present in this ongoing relationship. And so with that in mind, let's note some of the passages of Scripture that stress faithfulness to the Lord. Now, when we talk about faithfulness, we're underscoring this idea of loyalty. What does it mean to be loyal? It means to be reliable, trustworthy, faithful. 
That's what the Lord desires of us. So what is our duty? It's to be faithful. How then are we going to be faithful? Look at what Jesus said, beginning in verse 4. Some four times Jesus is going to use the expression, abide in me. That's very important. If we're going to be faithful to the Lord, if we're going to be responsible as branches in the vineyard of the Lord, we're going to have to abide in Him. So listen to Him. In verse 4 He said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in the vine. In verse 5 He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do, in, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast off. Verse 6, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So over and over again, Jesus is stressing the importance of abiding in him. There is a correlation between abiding in Christ and abiding in the word of Christ. You can't separate the two. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said, Then are you my disciples indeed, if what? If you abide in my word. And the idea is that we have to be willing to follow his word, to do what he says. Over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, John said, Hereby we do know that we know him. All right, how then can we tell whether or not we have the right kind of relationship with the Lord? Well, here's the acid test. If we keep his commandments. You want to know whether or not you have a relationship with the Lord? You want to know whether or not you're in good standing with the Lord Jesus Christ? Then follow his word. Do what he says. Abide in him. That's what Jesus is saying here. The Lord is stressing over and over again, if you want to enjoy this beautiful relationship with me as the true vine, you've got to abide in me. And to abide in me means to abide in my word. You've got to stay true to my word. Jesus said at the onset of his ministry, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Imagine somebody saying that they have a relationship with the Lord, but they ignore his word. What would you think about that kind of person? Well, Jesus asked this question, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? John said that our willingness to adhere to the commands of God is a demonstration or a manifestation of our love for the Lord. So in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, John said, This is the love of God, that you keep His commandments. And His commandments are not grievous or burdensome. In John chapter 15, verse 14, Jesus said, If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. How do we show our love for God? By doing what he says. Think about the relationship that we sustain to our children. How do, we, how do our children, how, how do they show their love for us? Well, one of the ways they show their love for us as parents is by, by obeying what we say, by showing honor, to us as their mother or father. That's one of the ways that they show their love and appreciation for us as their parents. 
Well, God is our Heavenly Father, and one of the ways that we demonstrate our great love for Him is by doing what He says. Now, note, if you would, the danger. Our duty is faithfulness, but the danger is is faithlessness or living what we might call a fickle life. You ever seen somebody who's fickle? I'm not talking about a pickle. I'm talking about being fickle. Somebody who's fickle, well, you, you can't trust them. You don't know where, where they stand. They're wishy-washy. And sometimes that's the way people are who claim to be disciples of the Lord. The only problem is you can't count on them. So listen to what Jesus says in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. There are a lot of people in the religious world that have the idea that once saved, always saved. There are any number of verses in the Old and the New Testaments that destroy that kind of thinking. It's not not in harmony with what the Bible teaches. But in John chapter 15, verse 6, Jesus emphatically states that if we do not abide in Him, if we do not abide in His Word, then we face the danger of being burned under this figure. And I think the idea is we become a castaway. We face, ultimately, the judgment of Almighty God. There are a lot of verses in the New Testament that talk about the danger of becoming apostate. I heard an illustration the other day, an illustration that Brother Roy Waymire told me about from one of the old gospel preachers in the Restoration Era, Raccoon John Smith. He was basically trying to impress upon those in the assembly the danger of falling away. And so what he did was grab a hold of a tree limb. And he asked this question, if I let go, will I fall away? How would you answer that? The answer is yes. If you and I let go of the teaching of the Son of God, in other words, if we let go, if we let our faith slip, then we will fall away. Do you remember what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 2? He talked about those who were drifting spiritually. He talked about those who were slipping, spiritually speaking. And that's what happens. If you and I fail to stay in this word, and we fail to strive to the best of our ability to abide in Christ and to abide in His word, then we're in danger of falling away and being cast away. But thirdly tonight, we've talked about our fellowship to the vine. We've also stressed 
in looking at John chapter 15, not just our fellowship to the vine, but our faithfulness to the vine. But now I want you to think about our fruitfulness to the vine. Look, if you would, at what is said, beginning in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now look at verse 8. In verse 8 he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. Our livelihood as the people of God is ultimately to bear fruit, to bring honor and glory to God. Jesus said that his Father is glorified if and when we bear fruit. There's a figure here that is employed by Jesus. I want you to think about it for a minute. Back up to verse 2. In verse 2, Jesus talks about every branch that bears fruit, he does what? He prunes. Why? That it may bear more fruit. Now, those of you that, that like to spend time out in the yard, you understand that if you trim a tree or a bush, if you, if you cut away the branches, that by pruning that tree or that shrub or that bush, it will ultimately yield more fruit or it will make it grow more abundantly. And what Jesus is saying here is that by pruning, in, in, in the pruning process, growth emerges. Now, Jesus is not talking about a physical bush or a physical shrub here. He's talking about a spiritual life. And he's saying that when the spiritual life of a child of his is pruned, that growth is spawned. Well, how does that occur? How is it that, that through this pruning process, you and I grow as children of God? There are at least three ways that I can think of. Number one, by teaching. Teaching is a very important process in the life of a Christian. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20? In verse 19, he said that we are to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then he said, teaching them to observe all things. We have to teach, we have to lay a foundation and then build upon that foundation. When you look at the book of Hebrews, particularly chapter 5, the Hebrew writer will talk about, he'll talk about solid food or solid meat in contrast to milk. When a person obeys the gospel, Peter said that they need to desire the sincere milk of the word. Why? That they may grow thereby, 1 Peter 2 verse 2. The longer you and I spend studying the Word of God, listening as the Word of God is taught or preached, the longer we're willing to receive instruction, to be taught, the more growth will take place. Let me just ask this question. How much, how much growth have you experienced over the past year? I would hope and pray that spiritually speaking, you know more about the Word of God today than you did last year. Certainly you know more today than you did 
two years ago or five years ago or ten years ago. Christianity is a grow, it, it entails a growth process. And there's no way that you can separate teaching and instruction from spiritual growth. Peter talks about growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so you and I, when we spend time in Bible class, when we spend time in the morning or in the evening or maybe sometime around lunch or whatever, opening the pages of the Bible and reading the Word of God, reading commentaries and doing word studies, what we're doing is we are enhancing our spiritual growth. And Jesus is talking about this pruning process that ultimately spawns growth. So first there has to be teaching, and then there has to be training. Now in Titus chapter 2, Paul talks about how the older men and the older women are to teach the younger men and the younger women. They're to teach them certain important truths, certain important things. One of, the, one of the realms that the older women are to teach the younger women is in the realm of domestic duties. They are to love their husbands, to love their children, etc. But there is not only teaching, but training that takes place. What we're trying to do is train people for service in the kingdom of God. There are some people, they have to be instructed on how to do certain things. Take, for example, the program that we have for our young people. One of the things that we're trying to do is teach them and train them so that they can become productive servants in the kingdom of God. You look at our young people. They are the future of the church. They're the ones that are going to ultimately be leading the church in the next generation. And so it only stands to reason that we teach, that we train. I think we need to train and mold young people to become leaders in the church, to aspire to be elders and deacons and preachers, to want to be involved in the work of the church. And one of the ways that we do that is we train them. There's a class that is offered this summer in the, in the month of June, I believe. It's offered by the Memphis School of Preaching. But it's offered to young people, young men in particular. And I would encourage our young men to attend this week-long study. And throughout that week, what, what takes place is the instructors at the Memphis School of Preaching, they teach and they train our young people to be servants in the kingdom of God. They're helping to lay a foundation. We've got some young men in this congregation that would be ideal for that week-long period of study. I would encourage all of our young men to be a part of this. But the point is that one of the ways that growth emerges is through teaching and training. And then here's a third way that growth takes place. Through trials. Now you may ask the question, how, how do the trials and the tribulations of life aid my spiritual growth? Well, James said, count it all joy when you fall into manifold trials, knowing that the trying of your faith 
worketh patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. I am not at that point in time in my spiritual life when I relish every trial that, that comes down the pike. Maybe you are. But I do see some viable benefits to the trials and the tribulations of life. When you and I experience trials and, and hardships and difficulties, those trials and those hardships can do one of two things. They can either build our faith or break our faith. Now what God wants, wants you to do is, allow, is to allow those trials and those tribulations and those difficulties, He wants you to use those things as stepping stones to spiritual maturity. In other words, to help you be better equipped to serve Him. Think about when the Apostle Paul prayed to the Lord three times that, that his thorn in the flesh might be removed. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. What was the lesson that the Lord was trying to teach the Apostle Paul? My strength is made perfect in weakness. And the idea is we come to depend and trust upon God more and more each day when we face difficulties in life. Look at the life of Joseph. You want to talk about a, a young man that, that faced some great and grave hardships, injustices in life. And yet who would say that those hardships and injustices did not make him a better servant of God? Or think about, think about some of the difficulties that Moses faced in his lifetime. Moses was a great leader among the Israelite people, and yet Moses had to understand that God was ultimately in control. Or what about, what about the great prophet Daniel? Daniel was thrown into a den of lions, and yet who would say that the difficulties and the trials that he experienced did not make him a greater servant of the Lord? Or what about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Thrust into a burning, fiery furnace. Do you not think that they had great trust and dependence on God? Job, that great patriarch of the past, I don't know how anyone could have borne up with the strength that he demonstrated, but I'm thankful that he did. And Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job faced trials and tribulations, but they made him a better servant. And the idea is that through this pruning process, as we experience the trials of life, that they will help to deepen our faith and make us become more fit for service in the vineyard of the Lord. And so, by way of closing, let me ask this question. Are you a productive vine in the vineyard of the Lord? Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. A lot of people in our world today, they're trying to make a life. The only problem is they forgot to include the Lord in their life. And without the Lord, you can't do anything. You can't do anything. You can't be anything. You can't have anything that's of lasting substance. And so tonight we invite you to come to Christ.
Come to the one who can ultimately give you life and give it to you more abundantly, as he said in John chapter 10 at verse 10. What would you need to do? Well, the Bible says you need to believe that he is the Son of God, Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible also says you need to be willing to repent, to give up a life of sin, Luke 13, 3. Confess his name before others, Matthew 10, 32. Then we're instructed to be baptized into Christ so that we might enjoy the remission of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. Once we do that, the exhortation is faithfulness until death. James said, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he has been tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him, James 1, 12. If you're here tonight, maybe you're not faithful. Maybe you've not been living as you should. Could we encourage you to come home? Could we encourage you to do as the prodigal did, to come to yourself, to come to your senses, to realize that the Lord loves you, He wants you to be saved, His desire is that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Would you come home tonight as we stand and sing?